Hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in. I really enjoyed doing today's episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, in this one, I did not write a script, so you'll have to indulge me a little bit because my guests, Stu Brower and I, were kind of all over the place, uh, two, about two hours, and uh, we freestyled, and we have a lot to talk about. I think we covered a lot of a lot of good stuff, and we had a lot of fun. Um, in Stu's case, um, he was my first guest and also my first repeat guest, so I'm, I'm really excited and hope you enjoy this one. Thank you. I have started and exited multiple companies. I am an avid investor in early stage companies. I advise some of the hottest startups and have worked with many of the top tech companies across numerous industries. I'm a software developer by trade, but I also have an MBA from Duke University. I seek out companies who defy conventional wisdom to drive innovation in any industry. And in this podcast, I interview the founders of those companies for you. Brower, you sexy man. How's it going? It's going good, buddy. It's going good. <laughs> good to see you again, Stu. Absolutely. So I appreciate you coming in. Um, this is a first of many things, and since you were my first guest, uh, I thought it would only be appropriate to try a few new experiments. It so thank you for that, brother. I love it. This <laughs> so is much better than doing it in my office. Yeah, <laughs> this is such a much better setup. We got we got beer. We've got bourbon. Yeah. That's damn good whiskey, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. This is. I, I, I actually have not even sipped it yet, but I'm okay. going to. I'm going to right now. So, uh, so yeah, so Stu w- was um, my kind enough to be my first guest. He really taught me a lot of the mechanics of podcasting and how to get started. So that was very helpful. And uh, I, I wanted to go 100 episodes without repeating any of my guests. Yeah. Stupid vanity bullshit metrics, sure. ego getting yep. in the way. But uh, you are officially number 55. And I wanted to, I thought it was appropriate given the devastation to our economy and to business models that were broken by COVID, um, that I, I want to go and spend a little bit of time revisiting a couple of my early guests who had to pivot during COVID. And given that one of your business uh, businesses is a gym, yeah. those were obviously hit pretty fucking hard yes. in, in, in North Carolina, especially. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, uh, it's, it's been bad. It's not, you know, I look at, I still think it's a very fortunate scenario compared to a New York, compared to a California, sure. to, you know, compared to a Seattle, you know, it, just some of those places they're still on another probably 12 to 18 month trajectory to actually ever getting back to what they were. I, I believe it. I believe it. it. It took the world by storm. So hopefully we'll be able to get into that. Uh, in another first, I am, I did not do any script or outline <laughs> at all. I want to go completely freestyle. So Stu and I may go into rat's nest every once in a while. I hope the listeners will. I'm sure they won't that. mind. I'm sure they won't <laughs> mind. <laughs> so, but before we dig in Stu, um, what was the last workout you did? Last workout I did uh, was Saturday. We have this new business, this little offshoot called uh, Train Tempo. So Tempo Training is this new model that we've been running with in a group model, and now we're doing it in an individual model. So myself and Deuce, one of my managers, have been testing out the various uh, Tempo Training workouts. And that was that was Saturday. And essentially what you think of with Tempo Training is taking the elements of a barbell, dumbbell, any lift, and slowing down the parts that make people say, well, f- well, yeah, of course, when you do that, it makes it harder. So we're like pressing a barbell overhead. If I had you do 15 reps, you would knock that out as quick as you can, shoulder to overhead. But if I told you instead of 15 reps, you're going to do eight, and every rep, you have to lower it down in five seconds back to your shoulder, Oof. 
that changes everything. And for me, as I got older, I needed tempo, time under tension to create new levels of hypertrophy because I, I, I started doing this when I was 14 years old. I've been lifting heavy weights and my body, at thir- I'm at 35. It's definitely not breaking down, but I can, I've seen this. I've, I've seen my clients that are older. Like <laughs> there's only a certain time where lifting cr- sub, you know, one rep maxes, three rep maxes, things like that are going to work for me. So we started doing tempo training and that's been my go-to probably for the past, I don't know, like even like three years, like burpees. We stopped doing regular burpees. Every burpee we do now is a, like a three second descent down hand release push-up burpee. We've taken the speed out of everything. I looked at what popular models like CrossFit did and I just, that was all speed-based. I wanted to take it the complete opposite direction. So that's that's what we do now. That's interesting because I recently interviewed uh, the West Kept Secret yes. ladies and I believe that they were talking about a similar approach to yep. burpees in their, yeah. in their programming. Yeah, that's time awesome. under tension is going to be the thing. I think we're going to see a rise of bodybuilding come back into programming. I think we're going to see not only just individual, like what you see people at the gym do, but you're going to see group models start incorporating more hypertrophy-based, isometric-based uh, routines into there because this whole functional fitness thing was, it popped and it did real well. It's like, if we're all honest, an overhead squat isn't that functional, <laughs> right? There, are, Butterfly pull-ups are not functional. There are certain things that are just actually not functional. So now that the sex appeal of functional is over, I think it's kind of getting back to getting more done in less time. I just want to look good naked and I want to do it in as little time as possible. Give me those two things and I, and I will pay money for it. Yeah, minimum effective dose in general is something that I'm fascinated with and, and in workouts in particular. Uh, for me, I, I used to subscribe to minimum effective dose in my workouts and I still do to a certain extent, but there are times where I just enjoy doing the workout sure. and I want to go a little bit further. And I think the key is just to not go so much further that you injure yourself. Correct. And, but I'd be curious even for someone like you, cause you are, you're a, you're a masochist when it comes to training. You put yourself in, a, in an uncomfortable position like many successful people do. They find comfort in that area of uncomfortable. But there's a certain point even with training where um, you see it as in older populations with higher training ages and not older as in like age, but older in like actual training experience. Volume across three movements is going to be more beneficial than high intensity across six or seven movements. So, so like we have uh, one of our movements um, we have is a, um, uh, these, these kettlebell curls with the, this very, very, this very long tempo and collecting a hundred to 120 repetitions across that exercise, slow and steady is going to create a completely different effect than if I did, you know, had someone do pull-ups, another, you know, bicep type exercise um, for 30 reps really fast, three different rounds, that kind of scenario. So like this, it's just this paradox of just this, uh, and this inverse equation of speed and intensity and then time under tension and collecting that. And it's, uh, it's been nice. I've liked it physically for myself. I think it's, um, you're seeing a lot of the fitness industry go to this route with tempo. It's not new. Tempo has been around forever. Mm-hmm. Ian King is in a, a, a strength and conditioning coach out of Australia. He was the one that, you know, came up the science three seconds a rep. Every rep should take you three seconds at a minimum. And then they got stretched to four. So that's our entire science. Every rep should take a minimum of four seconds. So in our program, Minimum is four. You could do a squat. One rep is 20 seconds. And that's a whole different animal. That is a whole different animal. Ben Greenfield, I just finished his Boundless book, and he talked a lot about, he. I think in his ideal workout plan, he wants you to do two workouts where it's just slow. Yes. And, lots of, and I think he was recommending a minimum of eight to 10 seconds per per rep. Yeah. And uh, it's, it, it's it's an interesting concept for sure. I've, I've found through the years that what works for me is varying things. Yeah. 
Um, so I like to once a week do some sort of all out sprint on my echo bike yep. and it, either a 2010 Tabata sprint or a 1020 reverse one set, um, you know, one four minute of that. And I am completely dead for the day. Sure. Right. Uh, but then today I did a 20,000 meter row on, on my erg and, um, I, I don't recommend doing that and I probably will never do <laughs> do it again. It, it, it left me feeling pain and inflammation. Sure, yeah. But I wanted to build some endurance, honestly. And I think that I didn't start out at 20,000 meters. I started at two and then I went to five and then I went to 10 and then I just started increasing it over a two month period. Yeah. And I think that my aerobic capacity is up now, but I didn't feel good after doing those workouts. Sure. The way I feel good after a sprint, yeah. after a series of sprints. It's weird. What workouts do you find stimulate you the most positively in a busy day? So let's say that you've got meetings, you've got decisions, you've got all, you've got a lot of shit you need to do. What's the, like, if you know I've got a hectic day work-wise, do you bias your workout intensity based on that? I, I do. I'll go a lot harder if, if I know that I'm going to have a challenging day. Okay. Just, do you need to like set your mindset right? For yeah, the day? yeah. I, I need the endorphins and I'll probably take some sort of nootropic. So yeah. whether it's alpha brain or I've been drinking Tianchi chi. Have you ever heard? No. Tianchi tea. It's a, it sounds a, like it tastes like shit. It, it, it doesn't taste great, but it actually, whatever it does to your brain is similar to coffee and nicotine, yeah. just kind of hammering you okay. in the back of the head and, and you get, you get really focused or I'll drink some matcha tea or yep. uh, I recently recently bought a supplement called qualia but but if i really know i'm gonna have a taxing day i want i want a workout that releases as many endorphins as possible and and i want some sort of nootropic and i want to and i and i try to clear my head of other things so that i can focus on the thing i'm working at it's so funny because i'm the opposite if i know i've got a crazy hectic day and i gotta be as sharp as possible i'm gonna do a workout real long tempos but a long duration so it's gonna be like in a nice steady state Mm -hmm. for probably 45 to 65 minutes okay and then in the days when i don't have much shit going on and i can just put myself into the ground for like because then the rest of the day I don't come back online completely. Okay. Like when I go hard, like I'm not coming back to a hundred percent that day. I've also seen you bleed in a competition yeah. because of the way you do your deadlifts. So you're a little bit more masochist than probably most of my listeners and myself included. But it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting, man, especially as how workout it changes. And I think you're right. Like variance is one of them. And I look back to like my CrossFit background since 2000 and let's call it six, five, that kind of time. You know, uh, it's crazy. I do these more hypertrophy tempo training workouts. I'm like, oh my God, I can't remember the last time I was this sore. Well, I probably said that when I first started doing CrossFit because I'd never done CrossFit before either. I was man, I can't remember the time I was this sore. So it's like everything is cyclical and varied. If you look at a career of fitness, which I hopefully for me is going to be a 60 year career of yep. me doing fitness. And I, and I hope that I vary and change it, uh, you know, over time. I want to, maybe I get into mountain bike racing one day or, you know, whatever the hell it may be. Just, you know, uh, no, no ceiling on that. Well, the, the other one, when I'm past my limit of what I can handle from you know, from a stress perspective, my favorite workout is to just get head over to Crowder's sure. or, or head to Blowing hike. Rock and just do a very challenging hike. I mean, okay. one where you feel like I might fall off the side of this hill, sure. and but do it at a fast pace and where you're mentally having to like, okay, do I go on this rock or that rock? There's something, that kind of workout to me is very relaxing and being outdoors and away from my phone, I think that helps a lot Do you like the chess game of it? Like having, like what the rock, kind of like boulders do. Like if you go to inner peaks and you go do rock climbing, like that's a chess game for those guys. They got to think six moves ahead. I like that, that, that aspect where it's mentally challenging and physically, it's not physically, it's not doing Fran or Murph, but it's, it's still going to get your heart rate up. Yeah. If you're moving fast, it, 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 what about like BJJ? 
Have you ever considered doing that? That's that's such a C-suite executive kind of fucking thing to do these days. Like, I'm surprised <laughs> you don't do it. I, yeah, so I've thought a lot about it. And in, and in fact, I do um, want to do it. Right now, once a week, um, my fiance, Victoria, and I are, are uh, doing ballroom dancing lessons. Yeah. Which... Where are you going? We're going to Midtown. Yeah, that's where I went. <laughs> yeah, yep, I did that too. Yeah. So, and I'm I haven't gotten good at it yet. I've gotten better, uh, but I haven't gotten good. But I I I feel like I like to have something going on that I'm that I can't get that I'll never master, but that I can get better and better at yeah. it. And that to me is what BJJ strikes me. It would be very good. I actually think of podcasting as the same thing. It's yeah. very much an exercise. And okay. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to just jump in and get sure. in the game. And then it's something that every time I do it, I take something away that I try to improve. And for me, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu would be a great example. The other one I want to take up is hunting. Okay, um, I, I've been making excuses in my mind on both hunting and, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But As some to point, why to not do them? Yeah, exactly. What's the hunting excuse? It's I, I, I'm, I'd rather lean on the crutch of a good friend. And I've got a couple good friends who got are good it. hunters and have said they would they would bring me. But then I just never. Sure. But but. I could see that being the kind of thing that I could really get into yeah. and, and try to try to improve. But Brazilian huh. Jiu-Jitsu just makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's it's good for, for self-defense if you ever need to use it. Sure. Um, it's it, it's challenging compared to other martial arts that I've looked into. The, the injuries are much lower. And yeah. I think that's its main advantage as a, as a fighting style. I agree. I think it's it's very complementary to a resistance training-based, high-intensity training scenario, too, because Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is very much uh, slow, then fast, and yeah. then slow and steady and calculated, and then fast for a second. And I think it complements very well. When I think of things like hunting, my dad hunted, and he always, I mean, you know, if he was his round today, he would, he would love for me to hunt it. I don't have the patience to pour dog, like deer piss on myself and sit in a blind and wait at three 30 in the morning for a buck to walk by. Like, I just like, fuck it. I'm going to go to whole foods and just buy you. Like I'm not, I'm, I don't have the fucking time to wait around. That, that's historically why I was never that yeah. interested in it. But as I listen to more and more podcasters talk about the experience, sure, I think yeah. there's something to I, doing, I doing things in nature for sure. So, so that was my first question for you yeah. was the workout. <laughs> Second question. What's the last meal you ate? Last meal. Um, other than the delicious this Lagunitas Lagunitas IPA, IPA. Um, <laughs> we uh, I grilled some steaks over the weekend, and but uh, actually, you know, uh, I had a fried chicken sandwich at Leroy Fox's at brunch, um, and then maybe some wings last night with the steak. So, so wait a second, CrossFitters are supposed to eat paleo. You know, it's it's one of these things. I uh, I've never prescribed. I've always prescribed to a, a typical diet that would probably always leaned low carb, just because I. I personally can, my body handles carbs well. I'm an ectomorph by nature. I can, I can carry a bunch of that. Just never have like mentally f- performed well. Like that carb hangover one talks about where it's not as much like I feel fat. I feel like foggy. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, if I, I came this off This is when bender, you eat high carb or when you eat low carb? When I, uh, if I go high carb, I'll okay. feel a little foggier. Yeah. And, but again, high carb for me is I could, you know, I could have 400, 500 grams of carbohydrates and that's still not going to, that's not going to do much to me, you know? But if I crush a Chipotle burrito, double wrapped with a tortilla, extra white rice, and then later on that night, you know, bang out a pint of ice cream, like I'm going to wake up the next day feeling like, like there's an elephant sitting on my head. Okay. Yeah. So the so the fried chicken sandwich last it, meal. That, awesome. Yeah, it wasn't bad. And I've I never you know what I had my first fried chicken ever last year. I've never eaten fried chicken before. Like being from Cleveland, Ohio, that's not a fucking thing. Uh-huh. But we did, and so I've got a podcast for the gym. And one of the members of the gym heard Stu's never eaten fried chicken. So I took my Zoom, my H six, and we had three of us. I drove. 
one of my managers, Deuce, is riding shotgun. And then we had one of our members from New York in the back. And I had the headsets on all three of us. And we'd go to Chick-fil-A, Bojangles, and um, uh, Popeye's. Back to back to back. We go through the drive-thru. We each order chicken sandwiches. We eat them on our way to the next one. We <laughs> literally eat three chicken sandwiches each within an hour. And then we voted on the best one. And that was my first time having fried chicken was last year in 2019. Well, so there's two recommendations you got to try. You got to go to Bossy Beulah's. It's attached to Noble Smoke. Okay. It's, it's if, if you keep walking down past the out the out the bar that's out back, uh, there's a little little shop. Great fried chicken okay. sandwich. Uh, it's another Jim Noble restaurant. Yeah. And, and everything he does is, is golden. But um, but you got to try Price's Chicken Coop. Now, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, everyone tells me that. I'm like, I'm not waiting in the fucking line with everyone else to pay cash at this place. Like, I just, I'm not a big... Oh, yeah, and you give them a $20 bill, and they, they run the uh, highlighter over to it. Make to make sure it's, it's not fake? That's yeah. so funny. <laughs> that That's one of my favorites. When, when I, I'm not big on... I know, at least back when, when you were schooling me on nutrition, you were big on, on cheat days. And I'm sure. not, personally. I probably do two or three cheat days a year. Is this um, more your vice, like booze? This is my vice, yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. But... But but prices is one of those that I will. That's your go-to. That that's a yeah. go-to. Or if I'm in New York and I get a slice of Brooklyn pizza. Okay. Like there's, there's yeah, a, yeah, like yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna enjoy my cheat days. Sure. There. So yeah. I highly recommend prices. I'd be happy to, to I, go. I, with we'll you. we'll go. We'll we'll do it up. <laughs> so last question before we dig into all the fun stuff that I want to talk about with you. What's the last podcast you listened to? Um, I listened to oh good last podcast actually uh I, it was a Joe Rogan one um, one of my favorite comedians I learned on his show Tim Dillon that's he's become it's quickly hilarious. He's best become, best Twitter account in America he's amazing his Clubhouse so I'm on Clubhouse as well mm-hmm. been learning a lot more about that app and how I can integrate into work and business and all that and uh, he gets on Clubhouse every night he's on there for like four to five hours just tearing rooms up it just it's hysterical it's like great sketch comedy. And I, I'm a, such a huge fan of stand-up comedians. Like so much of my influence in life comes from the George Carlins, the Priors, the Murphys, mm-hmm. you know, all these guys. But anyway, he's been one of my new favorites I found via the Joe Rogan podcast. So anytime he's on Rogan, I will listen to that. Yeah. And I, I love, I love Dylan for sure. Cool. Well, we got through the, the really important stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, as for the listeners who can't tell, you know, you may not want to play this one around your kids. You're going to hear the F word a lot. It's not necessarily going to be the fitness word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, also, for those watching on YouTube, um, Stu has much better posture than I do, and so I'm already self-conscious <laughs> and trying to, like, pull my shoulders upright. <laughs> I got Retract those scapulas. <laughs> so, well, again, I appreciate you, you, you uh, coming on again, Stu. Um, I wanted to start to dig into... Maybe you could walk me through as you started to see the pandemic unfolding. And just to set it up for folks, you, you own a, a successful gym. You had moved away from the CrossFit brand. You moved to a new location and you, you created a beautiful gym. And you were, I think in the back of your mind, you knew you wanted to create a concept that you could franchise. Correct. I don't know if you articulated that to everybody on day one, but it, it's become clear yeah. in conversations that that was the goal. So, so you're... You're already having to retool the business because you've kind of switched gears in terms of the demographic that you're going after. You're in a new location. You've dropped the CrossFit name. Um, and, and and I think you'd already started to rebuild your your membership. membership and yeah. you, you were getting back to a good place profitability-wise. 
Um, you have a couple other businesses going alongside this that we're going to talk a lot about, but maybe just walk me through the oh shit moment when you yeah. realize this is real and what it really, how, yeah. how, I want to hear how it unfolded. Sure. So a, as you mentioned, we, we moved into that facility April 1st, 2017 and the rebranding, you know, there was a, a bloodbath as I call it of amazing humans that were looking for CrossFit and we were no longer offering that. So you had to kind of churn through those. And there's also the, the lag time of introducing a new brand name to the market, especially one that's not clear urban movement and take all the vowels out of movement, people would come in and thought we were a brewery. They thought we were urban outfitters. So from a brand perspective, you can either be super clear and your marketing is easy or you can be super clever and cute and whatever. And you have to really explain through your marketing and storytelling. So it probably took us right until about 2020. I mean, we had our best, I mean, we had an, our beginning of 2020, we killed it. It was our best quarter beginning of the Q1 we had ever had since we rebranded and then COVID. Now me, like everybody else, I'm a, I'm naive, naively optimistic. If I'm hammer drunk driving, I get pulled over by a cop. I'm like, nah, we're going to be fine. Right? Like <laughs> that's not that that's an occurrence, but just as an example, right? <laughs> hypothetically, but, speaking. hypothetically speaking, uh, but I'm always not like ignorantly optimistic. So we go ahead and I'm like, this is going to be a two week, three week, four week, five week, six week. And it just continues and continues. Luckily enough, um, you know, I've really got into video production and uh, content production with the other company. Um, and so us pivoting to, to creating on-demand workouts, I mean, amazing, high-definition, 4K, digital timers. I mean, every, we pivoted to that so quick. I mean, we had less, we lost less than 3 to 4% of membership base throughout COVID. Wow. When we opened back up in July, which was earlier than what the state allowed us, but we jumped the gun a little bit, as many people in the fitness industry in Charlotte did, our June, July, August, September, I mean, best sales months we've ever had since the rebrand. And then right now we're kind of in a lull in Charlotte. It's typically, you know, December, January, February, halfway through March is pretty weak. And then St. Patrick's Day, we pick back up. But yeah, no, that was, it was tough. I will say we had it easier than everybody else because um, we were able to pivot quickly with the on-demand thing. I was able to rent out the equipment quickly to everybody. I mean, we kept every single person's full membership dues coming in minus maybe 3% during the pandemic. Wow, that, that's great. Yeah, I interviewed a lady named Lauren Maccabee. Who, okay. um, she created a style of yoga called Chakti Yoga, which oh, they call it yes. booty yoga. No, yeah. I've, I've, I've hosted that. I've let her, they've rented out the facility. It's insane. Well, it, it's, it's like they, so they, her old facility, she had signed a long-term lease finally. 52 people was the cap. Mm -hmm. And she, she felt bad. She talked about it on the podcast. I just felt bad turning people away, but sure. I'm physically limited to 52 people. So she was already thinking about signing a bigger lease and then but totally. she was thinking about virtual and she was like, she's a perfectionist. She said, I can't do it. I just can't bring myself to, uh, it's not quite there. Sure. I, I've tried it a couple times. Well, COVID hits and she's like, okay, like if she I went on a <laughs> Joe's platform studio, she, that's where she launched a okay. bunch of her stuff on studio. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and she did amazing. I mean, I, I did, I've done the, her uh, virtual yoga probably five, 10 yeah. times and that routinely you'll see 150, 160 people on yes. there. And she talked about how, how much more scalable this business model is. And she said, when it, when it comes back to being, in, and obviously now it's, we're in a different place cause you can have yeah. uh, get togethers. But at the time she said, look, when it does come back, I'll do both. Um, but I'm not giving, you know, the virtual is, is here no. to stay. And I, I think there's a lot of lessons people learned in COVID that we're not going to forget when we go back Correct. to whatever normal is. And Zoom is such a bad, it's not a fitness-based product. It's yeah. a it's a one-to-many, but with only a 
one input and output type scenario, raise a hand webinar type thing. But like when you use zoom for 150 people in a group class, yeah. it's a horrible platform yeah. for, for that scenario. You're into this industry. Why hasn't anyone come out and quickly like already become the zoom of fitness? Well, I, I think people have tried and they've come at it from a couple of different angles. I thought when things were really going to take off was the Xbox connect. Sure. I just thought for sure that the, the measurements you could do with that thing. I honestly, I think the most successful of, of the, you know, if forget about 2015 Ford, but if you look prior to 20 and not the 2015, there's any product that came out, but I just think for a long time, the most successful in this world was the Wii. We absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, they, they made it fun. And I thought for sure with the connect that that, that was going to change the game. I think you're starting to see it with Peloton yep. to an extent, especially some of the things that they're that they're doing beyond the the treadmill and, and the bike. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a handful of other vendors in the space that are getting there, but I think there's just so many, um, so many different angles and approaches to it that nobody's thought about the basics of how do I enable communication between one party and another. Now yeah. in building zoom, it's the engineering that goes into building a zoom is incredibly difficult. And there have been a handful of companies that tried to get to zoom scale and and j just failed and people leave the platform because if I get on and try to make a video call, even point to point, it's hard to make that happen sure. at scale and, and they stub their toes. And that, that's what zoom did a really good job. They over-engineered the shit out of the product from the very beginning. What's really interesting to me um, as a technologist is the implications of AWS and Amazon, Amazon yeah, web, web services. services yeah. um, zoom anybody who's hosting the workload that zoom is, is going to build their own data center. Um, I mean, I don't know that to be a fact, but I have to assume that they have their own data centers. Uh, but the capacity that was necessary when every single school, yeah, <laughs> the first people trying to open virtual gyms, yep. everybody com companies that would have never in embraced work from home yeah. all are Just doing crashing. it. Crashing. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it did crash their servers to begin with. But what's interesting is that they were able to catch up. And their earnings took a big hit because it, AWS is more expensive at, at a certain scale than building your own. But you can't possibly scale it's the quickly, way that they yeah. did without the, the investments sure. that Amazon has already made in their own infrastructure. Yeah. So I, there, I, I think the reason nobody's done it quickly is because it's really hard yeah. to, to, to master the engineering of video at scale. It's, it's easier than it was 10 years ago. Do you um, think the value, cause you've taken her classes and it, it, do you really have value in watching the Brady bunch squares and seeing how many people are there? Or like, is it more the gamification? Like I've always had this, like, why aren't there a pair of smart collars? for the end of a barbell mm -hmm. that would compute and tell you exactly, just like you could put the balls on someone who's swinging a golf club and compute horsepower or the rep, the close and end of a rep yeah. and show and very much what orange theory did orange theory gamified heart rate. Yeah. Why can't a CrossFit or a barbell biased strength conditioning model gamify the reps, gamify the completion, that kind of thing? I think you could. And the technology to do that is there. Is there. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, I mean, we, we looked at, um, not that this is a fitness application, but we, we looked at a, at a startup that is using it, um, using this technology in Zoom chat rooms to tell you when somebody is having a drink, an alcoholic drink yeah. <laughs> during work. No kidding. Um, when when they're showing signs that they're not paying attention anymore, and especially when it knows that they should. I mean, the, the, the computers are figuring this out. This isn't a human yeah. looking at it. Uh, they can tell when someone's picked up their phone and then they turn their video off. 
Uh, and they can find all sorts of compliance issues and they're trying to sell it to the banks. And yeah. so you can literally tell that somebody, and they can tell you if you're drinking whiskey or tequila or vodka, you know, that's I mean? crazy. Like, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. So, so, so you're right. There's no reason that you can't gamify those. Um, I don't think there's much value in the Brady bunch. No, panel. Yeah, and I nobody think, cares. I don't think there's, and especially in her case, there's, when there's 150 people on there, you she's not, yeah. she's not evaluating your warrior. No, at, at all. And yeah. when I think of game, I look at what Strava's done. I'm mm-hmm. so impressed by companies like Strava, uh, and, um, how I built this NPR just had them on there. I relatively recently, but I look at that gamification where I could be running a route in Charlotte and I could pull up and be like, Oh, there's six other people who've done this route up here and it took them six minutes. Yeah. Fuck that. I'm going to go crush that. I w- it would be so cool if you and me could log in and you do a workout and you, it was recorded exactly. Not only your time, like manual entry, but like the weight on the bar and all that was done by some kind of smart collar, smart bar, something yeah. to that degree. And then I can later on in my go-to challenge John's workout and yeah. it, you know, you get pinged Stu's about to challenge your workout and you're like, <laughs> Oh, that motherfucker. And like, you're waiting to check in and see if he beat me. Yeah. Uh, that I, I'm just curious how Sign that has then, then I think when you get into the self quantification, sure. the aura rings, yep. the, the whoop straps, I'm wearing a whoop yep. strap right now. My hyper competitive fiance, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, got one, and she loved. She she's lost it since then, and I'm not complaining. Um, but it was her favorite thing to be like, "Oh, what's your strain rep? Uh, what's yeah, your strain yeah. score?" Oh, I saw when we were bowling the other night. Oh, she's competitive as hell. <laughs> but but yeah, that was one of the things about CrossFit that I really like is that it, it all could boil down to a score, correct? And that I can compare that score mm-hmm. to others. And I think the other element that CrossFit got right was because it was so varied. And I'm with you. I, when I see overhead squats or snatches i i run the other way from the program and then i go do something at my home gym but but i do think that by having all those different modalities the nice thing is occasionally everybody wins correct yeah yeah i agree (laughs) and not a participation trophy but occasionally everybody has a workout where they beat that person that's always beating them and i think that fills a, a human need and i think any system that can tap into that is is going to have people do it more often, which is the key. If you're designing a a weightlifting process or you're designing a a fitness program, you want to help people and you want to get them engaged. And to the extent that, you know, that that gamification supports that, I I think that's a big deal. Yeah. There's a point where when I rebranded Urban Movement, I stopped thinking of fitness, like what I was delivering to people as something that was uber important to them. And this sounds mm-hmm. kind of weird, but I, I started thinking of fitness more as it's a pillar of their schedule. Like the person I wanted to start serving was someone who was trying, like fitness to them would be like, I'm, I'm, I need to take a shower tonight. I'm tired. I don't want to take a shower tonight, but if I don't, I'll smell like shit. Fitness, I wanted to be nice and quick. They could come in, get fit and get out. And it didn't have to be Oh, because I don't have the special shoes and the gym bag with the special belt and the wrist wraps and the gloves, I'm not cool enough or I'm not hardcore enough. I want to come in. I want to get service so I can go on and enjoy the rest of life. I guess I wanted, I started searching for people who fitness was not their life. There's fitness was something that about their life that was important. Very similar, like taking their car. They, they have a go to auto bell to get their car clean or whatever. Maybe it was more mm-hmm. of a pillar of their schedule and that something really unique happened. Because we got less of the hardcore individuals, like, and I put you in that very fitness is a is a is religious for you to a degree, right? And uh, we start getting in another kind of human in there that they didn't care about gamifying. Like that was something that took me a f- maybe another year to really figure out. Do they still want to gamify this? And we would test it. We would create workouts that would allow gamification and winning and losing and. And it just, it just fell off. And I just kind of had to bow down to like, okay, this is the avatar. You've built this thing around. You got to adjust the workouts now to allow it. So everything is like move 20. 
Everyone starts and stops at the same time. There is no winner or loser kind of scenario, right? Yeah. Like you, you just have to start changing those. And it's, it, it's diff, it was difficult for me to come from what I came from with CrossFit, but it was also nice not having, I mean, you remember, I, I used to have people show up dur like during the open crying after a workout because some, I don't know, some girl in Idaho beat her in a CrossFit workout like that she heard about or whatever. Or like my snatch isn't good enough compared to someone else. I was just like, ah, the gamification <laughs> as a business owner can, it can be very taxing. I, th I think it can, it can certainly be overdone. And you were one of the first gyms to start going away from RX, yeah, which, yeah. um, is, is a very different mindset, I think, than the, the, the yeah. RX mindset. Yeah, prescribing a weight, because it's just, it's so silly, like, to think about it. Like, are you really going to have a class of 27 people and prescribe a weight for a male and a female? Like, there's so many variations. I like, well, the RX weight for guys is 135, but you've got kind of that bum shoulder, so we actually should probably make it 115 for you, and you're strong as fuck, so it should be 165. And, yeah. like, <laughs> there'd be 27 variations of RX, yeah. you know? It, it is still fun, though. For, for me, like, when I'm feeling really good and I see a workout that I want to do I still I, I know the gym that I'm going to now CrossFit S3 there's just some animals in yeah there. like any gym they, yeah. they just have some animals and I know I look at it and I'm like I just want to be within you know five percent of this guy sure sure and usually I'm not but like when <laughs> but like I, that's when the gamification to, to me is is healthy when it's unhealthy is when I had a good workout and I look and I see my friend Terry beat me by two reps and I'm like oh, I'm bummed out and I'm like who cares you had a great workout yes <laughs> and so did Terry yeah like, exactly. we should be happy about this yeah <laughs> it's yeah it's like you'd go home and you'd be more thinking about your workout than like that, you know, the thing at work that's due or that you did well at, or your kid is super excited because they got, you know, the, the, the leading role in the play. You're like, yeah, daddy's busy. He's pissed off about his deadlift PR. <laughs> uh, so, so, okay. So you mentioned that, um, you, you're kind of, I'll call it in the state of denial in a bit. You know, you talked about being optimistic. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. It's, it's going to turn around in yeah. four weeks, six weeks. Now, now your sister works for the healthcare system. Sure. I've got to imagine that she was a canary in the coal mine telling you, Stu, the numbers aren't good. Right? She, yeah, and, she was. Now she was way more, I feel like Julie, my sister gave me the, the realistic vision of what it was. I feel like a lot of everything we heard in the early stages was very much alarmed. And my sister would let me know, Hey, it's actually right now. It's not that bad. And then she like, no, it's horrible. So she was a great barometer for me there. But ultimately at the end of the day, whether the hospitals are full or they are not, you, you're playing the PR game of like, do you deviate from the rules and you pull like an Ian Smith up in, uh, you know, at the, uh, Attilus gym up in New Jersey, that's just, you know, governor Murphy's barricading the walls and the governor's sending in the troops. And like, do you go that route or do you, do you, play it smart. And like, when I say play it smart, be a team player with the other bit local businesses, everyone else is suffering and then pivot. And then, like we said, um, find a new way to make it. But yeah, her, her being there was helpful. I also was able, we started running a lot of marketing. So one of our taglines is probably the best workout in CLT. And I've always really loved the, the cheekiness of probably in the, from the marketing language. So we, we switched it up during COVID. It was probably the safest workout on CLT when we mm -hmm. opened back up, but I had to like run all of our marketing game plan past my sister. I'm like, am I stepping in any areas where I'm going to get called out by like some registered nurse or someone, because I'm saying we have an open air concept because we have 30 foot ceilings and fans and the bay doors and it mimics outdoor airflow. Like where am I overstepping here in my marketing? So yeah, no, she was very instrumental. That's interesting. I, I've told people with CrossFit, and I want to talk specifically about your format, but CrossFit, 
to me, compared to a 24-hour fitness or lifetime fitness, is tailor-made to a pandemic, right? Because sure. you're throwing barbells around, you're you're flopping around, doing shitty butterfly pull-ups, yeah. and you're getting nowhere near one another because you're going to hurt each other. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you, you have your equipment is dedicated to you. They make My, you wipe it down. Some of it's universal. Yeah, yeah. The, the ergometers, the pull-up bars, the rate. Like, there are some things that are going to be universally shared yeah. kind of scenario. But, but they're not shared in the same workout. They're shared yeah. Yeah. usually across workout. You're right. Correct. If, if you've got heats, you're probably Correct. sharing yeah. within yeah. the workout. But um, Which stresses the financial model. Because yeah. now, what it, like, is it really necessary if you have a class of 25? Do you really want to have a 64 foot pull up rig that accommodates 25 people? And now you're talking like, well, that's why CrossFit gyms have 10,000 square foot warehouses. Guess what? That financial model <laughs> doesn't work out with that overhead at 160 bucks a month. Well, and and one of the more dangerous movements, not I think it's one of the greater movements in in CrossFit, but it's one that is more dangerous to the spread of diseases is, is wall balls because you're mm-hmm. slobbering all over that ball God. as you throw it up in the air. Yep. And I mean, obviously, if you disinfect it properly, sure. but like that's one of the few uses of the rig. Yeah, that, you know? <laughs> but that's that. So that was a quick one. We got rid of wall balls way back in the day because I was like. Yeah, I always joke around, I'm like, listen, kids, you know, you're, you're playing catch by yourself because your dad left you when you were six. Like, <laughs> this is like, this is what I did as a kid. Like, um, so we literally took slam balls. We got rid of the Dynamax balls and you squat at a tempo, go down in three seconds, hold for three seconds, stand and throw, but you don't throw it high. It's not about how high you can throw. You just got to get it off the fingertips and throw heavier balls. Yeah. So we have people doing those with 50 pound slam balls. Wow. So it's literally like a thruster. You press it up and it just leaves the fingertips for a fraction of a second, comes back down. You got to brace your core. So catch this is it. one of the few movements that benefits tall guys in the it, gym. And, and you're I taking it away. A hundred percent taking it away. <laughs> uh, but like it was something like his wall balls too. The thing too, people have to move to a wall and that's what is not pandemic proof. If you have a CrossFit class where people are constantly traveling to different sections of the building, without uh, legit traffic patterns in flow, that's a problem. That's why we switched everything to in place. You do not leave that square that we created. This is pre-COVID. This is just part of the model. You don't leave that square unless you're going to an ERG and you have a dedicated ERG only for you for 50% of the workout, then they get wiped down and it goes to somebody else. So, and when, when Stu's saying ERG, he means an electronic rower. Yeah, I mean, right. so an ergometer yeah. is something that measures power. So a treadmill measures a bunch of things, but a... Uh, a motorless treadmill is an ergometer. It measures the power. Oh, so, you, so when you say erg, it could be a bike erg, a skier, a hundred percent, any kind of ergometer in which it. the primary measure you could see wattage essentially. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, that was. I mean, that's you know, you mentioned the wall balls. That's that's a that's a perfect example of a uh, a cesspool of bacteria. It, just, it it is, but you know, and and there's some people that don't give a shit. Yeah, they don't care. Right, and there's some people who be hypersensitive well, to well, it. And there's some science behind yes. being exposed to germs makes you more resilient. 100%. So it's, but I think you're right. It's 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 like anything. And there, I, I would see this in some of the gyms I've joined through the years, where like you, you would see usually usually it's women who are a little more cautious and thinking about that thing because they've got kids that they don't want sure. to get sick, and they they already yep. are exposed to all sorts of, of, of illnesses from their, the, the the kids. But uh, but you'll see them religiously wiping those things down. Yeah. And I'm more of the type like. I would Fuck just it. get up yeah. there, throw it. And yep, <laughs> don't care. And we've got a lot of that. And then you have to you have to install policies and procedures now that are more of a PR play than they are anything else. We're currently still doing things that I think are ridiculous. We are wiping down those ergs after every time you use them. I've got a, I've got a staff member that's going and doing that. 
which we all know now, COVID is not based on surface space. It's not surface based. We didn't know that in the beginning, but now that I've set that precedent, it's kind of hard to pull that back. Now, like, all right, guys, we're not really going to wipe things down as much. It's on you to wipe it down. Yeah. I'd like to not pay this person to do this, but now I've got my foot in that trap. How do I walk that back? So there's a lot of there's a lot of things like that that are still in existence that I know business owners, gym owners like myself are just waiting to be able to drop that shit. Well, restaurant owners too. I spoke to Britton McCorkle. One of the the guy the, the the CEO of Bottle Cap Group. Okay, yeah. And um, he, he was on the podcast long before long before COVID. But we spoke afterwards. We were helping him out with some payment processing related things for contactless payment. And um, and he said, look, people don't realize that restaurants already have to disinfect the shit out of everything. He's like, our job during COVID is to just make those things that we do more visible. Visible. It's, yes. It's, how do we let people know what we're yep. already doing? What do you think about QR? Like. Do you think this was the greatest thing for the QR code? The QR code was just on its way out from a marketing play, and now it's just like, oh, my God, why not? In America, it's on its way out. It's actually a very accepted form Is of really? payment in Europe. No yeah, kidding. Yeah. But payments in general in Europe are 10 years ahead of America. Yeah. They've had contactless for pay, a long time. Yeah, Apple Pay and yeah. all that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think in America, it really made people think about contactless payment. I think there's a lot of things that COVID forced people to think about that they already were kind of thinking about. Just five years behind But had to speed up. I think hopefully people think about their health because at the end of the day, let's be honest, the people who are the most scared of COVID are the ones who are already the least healthy. There's all sorts of comorbidity factors that amplify things. It's people who aren't supplementing properly. They're not eating properly. They're not exercising properly. Hopefully that's one of the takeaways, but I, I, that one I'm less optimistic about, Sure, but I do think payments and, and retail practices in general and what can really, and for me, business travel is a huge one. I used to travel three times a week, yep. every week, um, like clockwork. And it's so unhealthy. There's so many reasons not to get sure. on an airplane as yep. often as I used to. And I just thought that I had to do it. And now I'm realizing, you know what? Like, you don't really have to do that in person. No, I think you need some in person, but it doesn't need to be every meeting. Yeah. It might be the first meeting and then important meetings, but I I guarantee you that I can get away with 30 flights a year instead of the 120 that I used to have. How is, for venture, what you're doing here, how much did COVID change for you guys? For us, it didn't change a lot because we started March 1st. Okay. So you could already see the writing on the wall sure. that it was coming. One thing that it did change for us that was really interesting was our first acquisition was a company out of Raleigh called Tave. And um, really good technology. Uh, the, the founding team had already left. The next generation of the team w- was was looking to get out of the business and the family that owned it was looking for new owners. And so we acquired the business and we're sitting down with the existing team and we're planning it back in, this is probably November, December of 2019. We're planning with them and we said, we think you need to go remote. You you don't need a 10,000 square foot office because there's six of you employees. Yeah. And they were like, no, it has to be because everything we've built system wise is based on us being here in the office. And Tarek and I were like, we can change all of this overnight. Sure. Yeah. Right. But, but when you acquire a company, you don't want to come in guns blazing Correct, and yeah. run over. And we had talked about, well, how, we're going to get at this to everything's going to be on the cloud. Everything's going to be available remotely and people are going to go into the office because they want to build culture, but it's going to be a much smaller office. Yeah. And there was a lot of resistance and we weren't going to fight it. And then when COVID hit, it just made it so simple, <laughs> so easy. Yep. Hey guys, 
we're 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 moving to to yeah. Gmail instead of hosted Exchange. Yeah. We're t- moving your LDAP server into the cloud. We're moving all of this stuff, and and and, and I, I think there are a lot of examples like that where where you know, as they say, never let a good crisis go unused. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it's uh, the crises do create situations for change they do and they allow you to get away with the things you couldn't i remember coaching a bunch of gym owners that you know right now guys your customer is the most flexible they'll ever be if there was ever a change you wanted to maybe other than a price increase unless you're able to directly kind of correlate that but if you're able to right now is the time to do it any policies anything you've ever wanted to change get it done now you'll never have the same bandwidth to do so and freedom like where nobody's going to send you that annoying customer service email yeah no, and, and I see it with a lot of the startups that I advise or have invested in. The ones that are doing the best are the ones who use COVID as an opportunity mm-hmm. to get rid of those employees who you might not have wanted to sure. fire otherwise um, to cut costs in ways that you probably needed to, but that just seemed too painful um, to go after that new business model that before you thought didn't make as much sense, sure. but it's, uh, th- I, th- I think there have been a lot of those things where the necessity of the pandemic actually creates uh, context that allow you to make change that would have been probably a little more difficult to yeah. do. But, but again, we started in March, so there wasn't a huge impact um, just cause we, I mean, we, we hadn't built up any DNA yeah. <laughs> that, that knew anything other than COVID. I think we're seeing now that from building a culture perspective, it's a lot harder um, to do that remotely. Sure. Um, there's, there's great things about working remotely, but it's just hard to compare what you get from a culture perspective. And we're getting ready to start instituting, hey, let's start coming back to the office yeah. in a safe way because we need to be here. Yeah, <laughs> having like in real life Mondays, yeah, right? Like exactly. Yeah, everyone's back in or 50% are back in on Monday, 50% yeah. are back in on whatever. Because you, you know, you talk and have a lot of network with people in the commercial uh, real estate industry. And I, so I bought that one building and my goal is I'd love to acquire one more every 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like that would be realistically for this little real estate company that we created, um, but it's interesting because so many companies, you know, Ray Crockett, right? They, what do you do with all your profit? You want to invest it in a hard asset. And a lot of those were commercial buildings, right? Kind of yeah. scenario. It's been interesting because since we put the building on the market, the amount of interest still, like at, especially in Charlotte, at the commercial level, that has not slowed down at all. Not, nothing slowing down. No. So uh, my good friend, John Christenberry, um, works for CBRE. And they, not recently, but I'm... I'm going to guess six months ago, they sold um, the rail yard building in something. Yeah, absolutely. 600 something dollars a square foot. Yep. I mean, record breaking. And, and I asked John, I was like, how do you justify this in COVID when nobody's coming into offices? And he said, no, nobody's blinking. He's like, rents haven't gone down. No. Prices haven't gone down. Now, I do happen to personally, and I'm not a commercial real estate expert, but I do happen to personally think that real estate at its frothiest becomes a game of musical chairs where somebody's getting fucked and doesn't have a chair to sit. Sure, in. yeah. And I suspect there's some of that going on. But at the end of the day, if nobody changes their rents and nobody changes what they're selling per square foot, then it doesn't change. No. It's games it's I don't want to say exactly GameStop, but it is it's sure. supply and demand. If, yeah. if supply and demand are both there and in the right balance, prices are going to stay where they are. And that seems to be happening right now. I, I agree. I was so impressed with some of the, the projects that were still marching forward. And then there, there's other ones that kind of got put on pause or there was little pivots. Yep. Uh, 
but yeah, Charlotte's just been in most of those, you know, those, uh, those Austin, Texas places like that. It just, it's crazy how much commercial development has still just marched on. Like yep. I, one of my top, one of the top people for the building said music venue looking at my building, like a music venue, the balls <laughs> on these guys. But I also think that's like, I think concerts yeah. are going to crush. We're going to party like it's 1999. It's yeah, I mean, yeah. I think the, I, it's going to be, I think the outdoor music venue concerts, sporting arena, like that, like it's going to be like live roar, comedy. You, like 20s. you said, you like, you like to go see Com- stand up oh, comedy. Yeah. Could, comedy uh, clubs, all that stuff. Yep. No, I, I agree. But, but what we did see was the projects got put on hold. Um, we didn't see projects get canceled, but people said, Hey, I need to do this, but I'm, I'm going to hold on to cash. I'm, I'm going to hold on to cash right now. Um, one of our clients is Passport here in town. Yeah. And if you think about a business that has COVID exposure, it's somebody who makes money on parking because nobody's in going to work. Cities, yep. It's somebody who makes money on mass transit. Yep. So it's getting on buses, it's getting on trains. Yep. Nobody's doing that during COVID. And it's it's getting on, you know, and, and, and they make money on tolls. And who's taking tolls when there's no traffic, yep. right? Toll roads. So... But it was interesting to me to see as a vendor, and I know a couple, and you know a couple of the, the Brad the, the and founder, yeah, Brad yeah, and Bob. And yep. It was interesting to see because they didn't even they, they didn't bat an eye in the sense of how they ran the business. They just tightened the hatches and mm-hmm. said, you know what, like let's dig in, let's take a better, worse, worse scenario, and let's make sure we can survive the worst. And yeah. now they're back, and we're doing a bunch of work for them. Um, they're they're back in growth mode. And uh, it, it's very instructive to see. It, it's kind of like a, a, a fighter. Uh, when, when, you, when you see a fighter who reacts by, like, losing their cool and their composure and going crazy, they get their ass kicked. Yes, <laughs> yes, versus keeping calm. Like I tell people, you want to do your best cooking when the kitchen's on fire. Yeah, Like, that's exactly. when you need, like, if you can own that chaos, you'll, you're going to get a lot further in these bad situations, you know, if there's a, you know, if a shooter runs in and like everyone gets up and screams, but someone could be super calm, make the right decisions because they're not busy screaming yep. emotionally and going through all that. Um, how long do you think until downtown Charlotte gets back online? Ooh, that's a great question. So f- uh, just for what it's worth, I took my uh, 12 year old son to lunch at Mellow Mushroom. Oh, okay. Um, uptown. Yeah. Yeah. By Romero uh, Bairdon Park. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's one near where I live yep. in Marvin now, but he wanted, I was like, do you want to go to this one or the one uptown? He's like, Oh, I haven't been uptown in forever. I want to see how it's yeah, doing, yeah. you know, mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Took 20 minutes longer to get there than I yeah. thought. So there, there was a, there's a, they've turned the Panther stadium into a COVID yeah, vaccine correct. site yep. for atrium. When'd you go? Uh, this was Sunday morning. Sunday, yeah. I was I was uptown riding around on Sunday morning. It was slammed. It was insane. And then on top of that, there were, and you'll know more about this. I'm, I was halfway expecting to see you in it, but there were about 200 riders who came through on different riding devices. So it could be rollerblades, roller skates. Oh, really? Uh, one wheels. One wheel. Yeah, yeah. There's a huge one wheel club that <laughs> okay. meets every Sunday and goes through everywhere. They're in Noda and Plaza, Belmont and Uptown and South. End. This might've, might've been that it's group. Crazy. It, but there was people in everything. everything. It was so cool to unicycles, see. Unicycles, <laughs> all kinds of crazy yeah, shit. Yeah, there were unicycles. There were, there were people, there was a guy surfing on a bike and yep. he would lean down and like, he had pedals on the handles. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. crazy. I've seen those guys. They end up, they normally end up over behind the new common market in South End. Okay. So I'll be at Skip Town 
uh, Jess is my girlfriend's dog. We take her there like on Sundays. Oh, on Maggie's the, on the podcast yeah, next yeah. Wednesday. Oh, is she? So, she's, yeah. she's the shit. I was yeah. super happy when I got <laughs> the interviewer. But we go there probably every other week for a couple hours, and uh, you can just see this group 40, 50, 60 of these kids deep. Just, yeah. I, I say kids, some of them are probably th- my age, but like <laughs> it's impressive. No, it is. It's uh, for sure. It was impressive to see. But, but uh, so if, if I had just come into Uptown for that event, I would tell you, oh, it's back, baby. Sure, but like it's it's vaccination. Reality. It's yeah. not it's not reality. Um, I I I think cities like Charlotte will come back more quickly than the ones you mentioned, like L.A., like New York, um, Chicago. Uh, you know, when Charlotte comes back, I don't know. I don't know that it that it needs to. I think the banks are learning that they can work remotely in a way that they didn't think they could before, and that's a lot of the leases. Uh, that's does, a lot of the, the people. Does the city in. then incentivize and cut banks and, and downtown, let's call it like that's the, the 28202 area zip code? Do they mm-hmm. start cutting them? Do you think there's going to be incentives to bring people back to the city? Because without them, there is no there is no internal growth. And, in, you know, that that's an interesting question. I, I And I don't know the answer if, if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> I But I do think that talking about before we talked about trends that were already underway, I think in general... I'm, I'm going to get a flack from my friends who love Uptown, but I think Uptown's day has already passed. Personally, I think it's more about South End. I think it's more about North End in yeah. a few years. I think it's about Noda. I think it's about Plaza Midwood. And so I think that already things, and that doesn't mean we can't have a thriving Uptown or Downtown or Central Business District. You know, it, I mean, those are all different terms for yeah. this. But what I think it does mean is that we're growing as a city, and it do, it isn't all about one place anymore. I think that all of those neighborhoods I just described are what make up Charlotte. And I've been living in South Charlotte and there's an amazing community down there. And then there's a community in Davidson and up North as you get close to the lake. And I think that's, that's encouraging to me. I think part of the decline of Uptown is more that the uh, rise of the rest. I I would agree. I would say even pre pandemic. So I've always wanted to live in a city. Right, I've always wanted to live, you know, uh, floor to ceiling windows. And you're in, we're, we're, you're in South, South End, and yeah, you I'm were in, in Cherry before yeah, that. I was in so Cherry. both very inner inner Correct. neighborhoods. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I've always wanted to be literally in Uptown Charlotte. And the only reason I never decided to do it is because there's no livability there. There, the, the groceries. There's two grocery stores. There's no retail. I the can't. Whole, the Whole Foods was a game changer. Correct, <laughs> a game changer. But you need like two more options. Like if you yeah. when you go and look at like urban planning and design, and you look at the Boston's of the world and these places, yeah. there's three major factors. Charlotte's got barely any of them, minus the restaurant and entertainment. You know, yeah. but even with the epicenter shutting down, I was super happy. It's like okay. Take the rep- epicenter. Epicenter from a- ruined the nightlife in Charlotte. It Absolutely, did. well, in Uptown yes. Charlotte, it ruined the up because before you had a bunch of mom and pop bars, right? Yes. So I'm just giving the the, the listeners yeah, yeah, yeah. the context on where you're going here. Epicenter comes in with all these giant chains, and it was it was fun to go see. It was fun to hang out. Yep. Live after five was nice, yep. but it just it didn't have the soul. That, it, it wasn't even yeah. the soul, but it was also it went all in on one thing. Like the epicenter should have been, I, I feel, feel like it should have been fifty one forty nine retail and shopping, yeah. and then that's up. There's just there's none of that. You go to like the Mumbarama in, in Boston. You go down like these these meccas of shopping. Even when you go to Vegas and you go that you know through the different strips and you go to the different shopping is is key like and there's none of that in uptown like 
actual shop. Center. No, yeah, yeah. Well, and even period. Like if you're like, hey, I want to go get a really nice blank. I don't care what blank is. You're yeah. going to South Park, or you're going to, to Midtown, correct? In the metropolitan, yeah, the metropolitan yeah, area. Yeah. So I like there was just that huge element that was missing for me, and I was like, I, as badly as I want to live, smaller brands like South End mm-hmm. and Noda just ate away at the coolness level, the popularity of what they, the livability in South End is unmatched. It's probably one of the top. 30 in the country, yep. like walkability score, livability score, all that. Yeah. I, until recently I lived in Plaza yeah. Midwood and I, I would say the same thing. Like you can, you can go buy $300 designer Nike sneakers and wait in line for two, two days. Yeah, if you black want sheep. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but you have a Harris Teeter yeah. and, and you, you, you know, you have all these other retail providers that you, ju- you're right. You just don't get the and same the, level of retail. You talked about $600 a square foot for commercial. I mean, that's, that's those, that's those districts. And even like me, I'm, I'm somebody, I will take a smaller living domicile to be near walkable, like with everything. Like mm-hmm. that's just like, I, I would trade off size of home, amenity of home in order to have the bar that I like, Tiber Creek and the places I like to shop, Lululemon and the gym I like to go to and the grocery store I like to go to all within a spinning Oh, and distance. by the way, there's a Lowe's right there. Yeah, so. there's a Lowe's and there's leather and lace. And like, why, I never have to leave South End. Why would I, if I, you know, I got my strip club, I got everything I need right there. Well, and then there used to be a great gym in CrossFit South End. used to be, it, used it to be. Pour, pour one out for them, pour one out. So how is it for you, um, I mentioned CrossFit South yeah. End, which is your old gym, yeah. which is where I met you. Mm-hmm. Um, how is it for you to see the success that, people have had coming out of your gym, whether it be coaching careers, the head coach at my uh, gym, CrossFit S3 yeah. is Matt Brower. Matt, yeah, who, Blanton. Blanton. Uh, Brower, Blanton. Yeah. Matt Blanton, sorry. Great Matt. kid. Uh, great kid. Um, he's not a kid, he's an adult. I don't yeah, know why yeah. I do that. <laughs> uh, he still feels like a kid to me, but... Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and then um, CrossFit Sergo is yeah, a former Matt student Richards, of yours. Yeah, And then yeah. Eric McCoy, yeah. who had obvious success Stacks. with Stacks. Like, yeah. how does that feel to you... In a way, these guys are competing with you, but in a way, it's yeah. got to be some validation for I've what always, you're doing. You know, I've always had like great relationships. So I have a very good relationship, especially now with like the metabolic guys. Very, I just literally walked them through setting up their podcast and getting them going. And they are a direct competitor in what I call the white space. There's CrossFit on one side, there's high cardio level boutique fitness on the other. Myself and metabolic own the white space. Mm. And, um, but no, I. It's a, it's a, it's a really cool, it's really cool. It's because I, everybody moves on at some point and it's, it's cool to spawn those things off. Um, and then simultaneously though, it's, you know, it's, it's also cool to see yourself evolve as well. Like you meant, like we re-evolved this into a, it ended up being a license model cause we couldn't franchise. I didn't feel like we could franchise during the pandemic at the price point we would have needed to, but we spawned it off into a license and now there'll be, you know, I might be able to take my daughter up to Chicago to go shopping and we could stop in at an urban movement and I'd be like, Hey, daddy doesn't own that, but he created that, you know, and that would be a really cool moment. So I, it's the evolution of everything. And Unfortunately, I think there's too many people in small business America that have a scarcity mindset versus this abundance mindset. So when someone spins off and makes, oh, they copied me or they took two of my coaches and three members left and went and opened up a competing business. Like, that's just what happens. Like, did you not read your pamphlet on career day as an entrepreneur? Like, did you not realize that that's what it's going to happen forever and ever? Original ideas and IP production is not a real thing. Yeah. You know, so um, no. That's one of the reasons I'm, not completely entirely opposed, but I'm kind of uh, opposed to the idea of um, uh, non-compete. So you're not allowed to work on anything outside of work because yeah. that's part of 
your legacy is yeah. the, the amount of people that are inspired by what Correct. you taught them and then they go off and they do it for yeah. sure. Yeah. And, and I think that if you get too tight on the non-compete and you need to disclose to me what you're working on, you lose that. Now that's not to say that those don't have a, a, sure. a, a, a place and a reason, Correct. But, Correct. but but for sure that is, is what I've, one of my uh, oppositions to those. So, um, no, that, that's really cool. You mentioned the, um, the licensing and the franchising. Can you maybe speak a little bit sure. to, to, to what you mean by that and what your progress is on doing yeah, this? Yeah, so early on you mentioned, you know, I, I got away from the CrossFit thing. You can't really expand that when you, because uh, that's a license model. I was licensing the brand name CrossFit and they make it very difficult to go ahead and expand your empire with that mod, with their current model. So, uh, and plus there was a bunch of things I didn't like about the model. I wanted to change. It was too big which at that point, you know, it's kind of like pizza. You say, hey, let's get a pizza. Everybody has a different idea in their head as to what good pizza is. But if you talk to someone from Chicago, deep dish, and someone versus New York, thin crust, folded up. Pizza is held in your hands, Stu. Yeah, okay, I, uh, listen, I'm totally on board <laughs> with it. It's not eaten with a spoon. I'm totally on board <laughs> with it, but you have two different people that are gonna have completely different ideas over the same thing, right? So I believe in, uh, there's no new ingredients, just different recipes, mm -hmm. and in fitness, okay? So uh, I just wanted to come up with a different recipe, and I wanted it to be expandable, not by my own. I do not want to open more gyms. I want to do the real estate thing and the consulting thing and the content thing. So this doing a license model um, was a pandemic move because we were looking at franchising. But however, and what's the difference between franchising and licensing? Franchising is know? much more expensive. You got to go through and get your uh, franchise disclosure documents handled up. I mean, you're going to drop a hundred thousand dollars at a minimum to go through this process, and then you also are you're pretty much on the hook to guarantee success to your franchisees. That's you as the franchisor, or correct. So if you're a Subway, correct. Yeah, yeah. So we were looking at buying this building on the north side of the city, and that was going to be the second urban movement location in the first prototype because my current facility is too big. I've got, I've got what I tell people, I bought a building for real estate and I put a gym in there. It's not a good building for a gym. It's truly not. So um, it's 10,500 square feet. There's no HVAC. Like What's a typical CrossFit box? Uh, I would say the average CrossFit box, unfortunately, right now is too big. It's probably sitting around 6,000 square feet or so. Wow. And that's wow. too big. Um, especially just like we said earlier, commercial real estate prices are not going down. And when you're number one overhead and you to have a 6,000 square foot facility, in which you train 20 some people per class, there is no profit and there. And 20 is generous. It's right? generous. Yeah, yeah. Look at Orange Theory, 1,800 square feet, 45 people. Barry's Boot Camp, less than 2,000 square feet, 55 people. Those volume-based models is what I was more interested in. So um, anyway, we, uh, we the licensing thing came out of look, you know kind of analyzing it. I brought on a guy, uh, Jim Crowell, started working with him. He did the license model for OPEX, which is a very successful micro gym uh, educational platform in the United States. Uh, talked to him about it. And yeah, so we launched the license thing and I launched it in the shittiest year to do it. Like 2021 is not still not a good year to so, launch. So licensing new. compared to franchising. Less expensive. Yep. So for example, my license model is $12,000 a year for the first generation of licensees and we'll gradually step that up. What's a CrossFit license? 3000 a year. So insane, <laughs> 4X more expensive. But I had already built out all these business support tools, marketing suites, branding suites. And, and you haven't made racist comments in the middle made, of a pandemic. Not, not yet. Not yet. So <laughs> there's still time, John. There's still time Can for me to. Can you speak to that real quickly? Just <laughs> how did you feel? I imagine it was a two-edged sword for yeah. you. You probably felt validated for leaving the brand. I, you know what? So Greg Glassman is still my top five 
public speaker. So Greg Glassman, for everyone listening, is the founder and the creator of CrossFit. And when in 2006, young college Stu was, uh, he first heard one of Greg's speeches about CrossFit and I fell in love with him. And I mm-hmm. fell in love with him as an orator, as a public speaker, but also- But he's very a, purpose-driven. He wants to he wants to fix the obesity pandemic, right? Is. That, is, that is his purpose. And he's a rabid life. libertarian. Yeah. Like he's he's got a bunch of things working around this. And so he makes the, he tweets the George Floyd comment, which- uh, Floyd 19, I yeah, think he called yeah, it. Floyd 19, he tweets that. And then there was a ton of Me Too stuff that was bubbled mm-hmm. and it never poured over. So you just got to imagine somebody was writing checks to keep that. Because from the things you heard, like how close it got, uh, Andy Strumpf, Strumpf, whatever it is, he was on the he was on the Rogan podcast. He's an ex-Navy SEAL. He was really close up at HQ. He literally, like on his podcast, you can still find it on YouTube, he talks about those scenarios, but doesn't name names, doesn't name dates, doesn't say anything, but he's like, this is all sitting here. It's going to take one person to drop images, text message, screenshots, and it's all over. Wow. And it never happened. So you know somebody had to have stroked a few checks or something. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so it's two ways. I, I love Greg Glassman. I think he's still a genius. He did more for the fitness uh, empire. I don't care what corner of the fitness industry you're in than anyone else in the history since Jack LaLanne. That's it. Jack LaLanne, Greg Glassman, two great. Who's Jack LaLanne? Jack LaLanne opened the first, like he really, in the in uh, California, he pioneered personal training and then group training later on. Like Jack Lane was like, is, is considered one of the godfathers of personal training and fitness as a profession. Let's put it that okay. way. Um, and uh, so sort of like Joe Weider to supplement. Kind of very, yeah, 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 very, very yeah. similar. Yeah. And, and so those two guys, so I'll always admire Greg and, you know, guess what? I, I wasn't mad at him when he made his comments. I'm like, ah, you're a fucking idiot. Like, but <laughs> this is also an era of Trump. Yeah. What you're going to get mad over a Greg Glassman tweet. And when the president is oh, like makes stupid fucking tweets every day, like I, I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying, like, should we cancel the guy? Well, like, I, think, I think that's a lot of cancel culture is that we all recognize that you can't go unpunished, but should you be canceled and sure. should we not forgive you at yeah. some point? That's a tough thing to reconcile. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I wasn't, wasn't happy about it. And they're pivoting. Like, I just found out today that Noble is now their new sponsor since Reebok because they the Reebok concert, mm-hmm. con, you know, that was a huge Reebok and Greg Glassman did not get along. That was a very hostile relationship. And that contract just ended. So now Noble will be the new, which I'm, beyond pissed about i'm beyond pissed why is that i wear i dude i buy nobles four pairs at a time okay i love nobles because they weren't the crossfit shoe i love them because i could wear them out and they weren't like oh there's that cool there's like probably another kool-aid drinking fucking crossfitter and here i am trying to create this unique brand i couldn't be wearing reebok nanos around or nike metcons those are CrossFit. so i have shoes. 25 pairs of metcons exactly but I have one pair of Nobles and they're pink and I love them because I get, I get so much shit, but it's always the shit about them yeah. being pink. And I'm like, yeah, but they're also completely built differently. Dude, <laughs> I love, cause I, I normally work out. I love high tops. I wear high tops all the time. And this was the first fitness trainer high top I've ever found that I liked. And then I find out today that Noble is the official sponsor of the CrossFit games. And I literally, I just wanted to punch a baby. I was so <laughs> pissed. Stu doesn't mean literally punch a baby. I literally might have. I <laughs> right in its infant throat. <laughs> so, okay, so all, all of this is happening at once. I want you to talk a little bit about what the fuck gym talk or WTF yeah, gym yeah, talk. Yeah, yeah, and And because that, as I understand it, that's become probably it, the most successful part of your business. Yeah, so yeah. WTF gym talk was an idea of, I, I really consider myself kind of this little American story of, uh, uh, building across, you know, I started, you know, broke and, and out of the back of my park, out of, out, of out of my truck in a park. And then I, 
I had to sleep in the gym because I couldn't afford an apartment in the gym. And then we grew it. And, you know, because of license model CrossFit, we don't get everyone else's numbers. But I've got to bet we were probably in 2010, the smallest CrossFit gym in Charlotte, North Carolina by 2013. Again, I don't have anyone else's financials. We were sitting at like a, we did half a million dollars at like around 26% margin, which is if you get close to 30% in the fitness industry, you're, you're, you're killing it. Um, especially with the overhead and all that. And I was, I was really proud of that business. And I'm a guy that likes to, I like being on camera, like talking and I like to giving people my opinion, whether it's right or wrong. So I started making videos and those went up under the handle of WTF gym talk. Cause I thought it would catch people's attention. And I just always had one of those like, what the fuck moments running a business like every entrepreneur entrepreneur does. Um, and then that became a consulting uh, company slash media handle. Uh, and that's since 2015, that's been the full-time job. So I even stopped taking a salary when I went all in on that from the gym. And I just kept that in retained earnings. I gave my employees a boost. We increased payroll budgets and I stopped taking money from the gym because I knew if I didn't, I would never go all in on WTF. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and it's also the beauty of an online business. WTF has got... It's a scalable business. Uh, so, you, you have clients in New Zealand, Australia. Yeah. Well, okay. it's not scalable because it's me. That's the one thing I've never done. It's still okay. a job. I look at it, like I think of my success with WTF on that and the consulting is like a lawyer, right? It's yeah. billable hours. Like when I die, that well, I mean more of the content correct. is scalable. Yeah. yeah, so like Micro Gym University, we release an online school. Um, and then I do content deals with different companies. I've done like True Coach or uh, Fitbot and, and Tribe and some other companies like that. Mariana Tech, uh, where I create content for their brand. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's been the full-time thing and the podcasting and, and interviewing people. How many people. Uh, podcasts have you done? For, we'll come up to 500 here in the next, probably in the next two months. And how many videos on your YouTube channel? Oh, se- oh uh, between YouTube and Facebook, we're talking 700 plus. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's, that, that, and that's my, I truly fell in love with that, that creative outlet of making a video and, and, and getting the word out there and, you know, um, but yeah, so that's been the, the full-time thing where it's funny cause it's, there's, there's zero marketing budget. I don't spend a dollar on marketing. It's just, it's organic. It's bombastic. It's a niche. There's not many guys giving business advice in the micro gym industry you know, kind of scenario. So yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, what about your burgeoning career as a wedding officiant? <laughs> <laughs> My wedding officiant career. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how I do at yours. Um, you know what the funniest thing about that is, is because of public speaking was, that was my 2020 thing. I had 10 gigs booked for public speaking out of WTF. I was super excited. And obviously all that went away. Um, but that's like one of my favorite things to fucking do. And I think it's the part of me that wanted to maybe do stand up comedy as a kid, but I just don't have like, I, I just don't think like, like I think like that, but I can never, I can never craft it and deliver a fucking a set. I can put together a seven minute bit. I have to disagree with you. I think you'd be a fantastic, <laughs> I mean, I, look, I think you're going to have a couple of people who are very upset with sure, you, yeah, when yeah, you yeah. embark on that career, but I think you would have a fantastic career I, as a stand-up I, comic. I, I think, uh, but, but, it's, but the public speaking thing is a lot of fun, and uh, that's, you know, when you when you gave me the option, I was like, no, I think the officiant thing would be so fucking yeah, cool. Yes, so I asked Stu if he would officiate my wedding. I was like, or you could, like, like be my best man, you know, cause he's that kind of friend to me. And he's like, Oh, I want to be the fucking officiate. Well, I was like, best man. I'm like, that sounds like a lot of partying with SP. I don't know how, <laughs> yeah, I can barely hang the partying that we do now, but it's like, uh, yeah, I was like, officially like that would be fucking, I didn't really, I didn't know anything about, uh, 
her fiance's guest list is going to be pretty a list. Yeah, like she doesn't. She's selling homes to some legit people. I remember <laughs> after we sat down and met after that first one, I went back. I was like, "Well, fuck me! Like <laughs> now this has got to be really good. This isn't just a bunch of our CrossFit buddies and like Eric and shit hanging out." No, notice that Stu isn't doesn't feel any compulsion because of my friendship with him. No, no, not at all. Now it's just the pressure of these other humans who don't know who I am. Um, that's the difference though. When you have an audience who doesn't know you, which is I think the best part about like yeah. open mic stand-ups, which I think I've always been fascinated by. Open mic stand-ups, there is no reputation to lean on. Because yeah. if you know a guy, like if I watch Bill Burr, so Bill Burr's like one of my goats. One of my top top, top five all time that I've ever seen live. Hilarious. And if he bombed, I'd be like, oh, but it's Bill Burr. Like yeah. he's done so much good work. But when okay. you do an open mic or you go and you speak in front of a bunch of people who are not familiar with your work, it's different. Like when I go and give a speech at a conference for gym owners and there's 100, 200 people there, it doesn't uh, hit for everybody. It, well, it doesn't hit, but I at least can lean on like, oh, I've heard of him. He's done the thing. He taught whatever. Like you can at least lean on that reputation. So this is, you know, uh, our friendship would say like, this is way different because I don't have anything to lean. I'd be like, just who's the redheaded fuck SB invited? Like, who's that guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny. I, um, I asked Stu to be our officiate. Well, I, I gave him the option of best man or officiate, and he he said, "Oh man, I want to officiate yeah. it." And it, it was it was inspiring to to Victoria and to me because you you just attacked it with this this like energy and almost an anger of like <laughs> I'm gonna do this. Yeah, so yeah. awesome. And like you brought up things that need, and he he made us come into the studio and actually like interviewed. Yeah, we did a full and podcast. he recorded it, and he's like, "All right, like how do I do?" and and he, and he's researching, but but I think can you speak maybe a little bit to do, do you have to be a maniac to be successful on your own or yeah I mean like in any because you're a maniac about sure, this yeah. this in particular yeah. yeah I think I think most people who tackle problems especially ones that they're entering an area they're they're unfamiliar with they have mm -hmm. a skill set that should be complementary mm -hmm. in that but it's still something they've never done. I think you got to tackle with a little bit of tenacity. So I ever, you know, I picked the word for 2021. Tenacious was my word. Mm -hmm. So girlfriend Jess, she's like resolution. Defiance is my word. Defiance is that? Yeah, is that your word every year now? <laughs> every year, every year. She's like, listen, bitches pick resolutions. Just let's pick a word. And I'm like, all right. So this word has to embody everything. But like this word tenacity um, was the one. And just kind of like if it's something I'm familiar with, I think I got a skill set that could do well there because I wouldn't. I, like if officiating was something I like, I never public spoke. I, I did enjoy talking or making, I probably would have been like, Oh no, best man. Let's go get hammered in fucking Maui. Like, yeah, let's yeah. go do something like that. Right. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but this is, uh, this is something you tackled. And like when I was like, okay, John, we're doing this, we're going to meet. I think I was like I, at that dinner, I'm literally pulling this stuff out of my ass that I thought of like a couple of days, probably like, we're going to have two 90 minute interviews. I'm going to take all that material. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to regurgitate it. I'm going to sit like, I just came up with this entire scheme in my head is, is like, that's how I would do it. If I was creating an officiating business, how would I want to create the perfect <laughs> initial speech? Like that's what came out of my dome. Um, so yeah. And, no. and I hope people understand that. Like, I think when you tackle any problem in your personal life is like, how would I create a business to solve this? You're going to tackle that problem better and you might create a new opportunity. Not that you're going to get into the officiating business. Sure, yeah, but yeah. Like it, it, I think that that's just, a, there's no downside to trying that. It's like taking vitamin D. I can take a lot of vitamin D. I have to take a lot of vitamin D sure. before it hurts me. But yeah. like the fact that I don't have to worry about poisoning myself with vitamin D makes it, 
it's relatively cheap, I should probably take a lot of it. And I, I think that's the same concept. Right? I agree. I, so I literally told Jess, I was like, uh, she's like, so how would you define success from officiating? I'm like, three people come up to me and ask me if, I don't, if I'll do theirs. That's how I'll define success. How do you tell them no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. When I can spring <laughs> off a fucking, she's like, would you? I'm like, no, of course not. But it's like, I, that's that's when I know it was successful for me. I, I'm going to go in there. It's like I'm auditioning for a new fucking job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, but I think that's instructive for anybody who wants to go out on their own is that like that mindset, no matter what you do, I don't, I don't care if, if your business is stuffing envelopes, I don't care if yeah. your business is how do I optimize McDonald's traffic, like whatever your, your, your job is. If you take that mindset, I think you're going to be successful. I think so. I, I, th I talk about this thing called like the entrepreneurial debt where guys like you and me and creative people, we have a lot of tenacity towards things and we might take on more projects and every project you take on you know, you can be 100% in the one or 50-50 in the two or 33 in the three. Like, and every time you take on a new project that requires your skill set, you start going into this entrepreneurial debt of, do I have enough left in the bank to give to that project considering I have three other projects? And I think about that with you. Whenever I see that Facebook post, Defiance Ventures has acquired another company, I'm like, fuck me. What, what, what does that company do? I'm like, what is this? Like, how many of these things can he do before he loses, like, the... Um, what is the it? Focus the, the, the focus or the return, like uh, your return yeah. is just no longer, not even the financial return, but like your ability um, to, to give it all your, you know, your best version of John. Yeah, when yeah. does that, you know, wean off? Well, and so, so I'll, I'll answer that. I think that you're absolutely right. I think that a lack of focus can be detrimental or fatal to any business. But I think that if it, like, the kind of business that I want to create is one where we amplify by multiplying. So we, the, 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 the things that make a business success, successful aren't that different from industry to industry. It's, and, and, and I see this in what you talk about with your, with yeah. your businesses. You're like, look, Barbell should be smaller. You can fit more. Correct. Like, yeah. There's it just comes certain down to math. one on one. It comes yeah. down to universal math. <laughs> yeah. There's just math that can't be argued with. And I think that there's a certain level of that. And I think there's a certain level of networking effects that they multiply so quickly and, and they're, and so exponentially that they, they overcome any downside. So you, yeah. you do, so to sum this up, I want to make sure I mean, so especially with you doing so many, you realize not everyone's going to win, yeah. but the networking ability yeah. and the amplification of that, even when you have a couple losers, you have a few loss leaders. I, I don't mind having 90% of my companies lose. Correct. I, I don't think 90% of them lose. That's most VCs work, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Like two of them pan out and pay for the losses on all of them. But now you have a talent pool, you have a network, yeah. you have a, a whole ecosystem. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do. We're, we're really trying to create not just capital, but like, how do we bring operating capacity? But how do we even like monetize the knowledge we have of failing businesses? Because there's, there's, there's huge value in knowing what makes a company fuck up. Yes. Right. Like if I know that, yeah, bad companies do this, like that's huge value. hundred percent. So, so I think all of those things that make Tarek and myself, good advisors. And now like Micah and Kevin and Mike and uh, all these other guys and gals that are working for Ashley that are working for the company. Um, those experiences, I think amplify the more companies you're exposed to. Sure. And I'm a big believer that um, failure sucks. Failure should be avoided. Failure 
drives me insane, but it doesn't stop me from doing something. Sure. Right? Like, yeah. Like I, I, how many failures do you think you need to have? And like before, like, cause even failure can a success can be a failure, mm-hmm. right? Like I look at my license model. If I don't do five licenses in the first year in my head, that would be a failure, but it's still a win. If I do three and three people thought my idea that I fucking cooked up on the back of a napkin when I flipped this CrossFit thing and everyone said I was an absolute idiot and why are you cashing in and fucking up this good CrossFit South End business? You've got the two hottest names in the world, CrossFit and South End in Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> why would you ruin that IP? Like your Google SEO was just going to tank. No one's going to find Urban Moot. Like, but if three random people, like that's a, that's a failure necessarily because I didn't hit my, my numbers, but it's still like a look at it as a success. Yeah. And, and, and I agree with you. I don't think that it's as mechanical and you're, you're not suggesting it is, but I think that it's not as mechanical as people might think when they start down that line of reasoning. I think that at the end of the day, like you, you have to try new things and you have to be ready for things to just not work. Yeah. And you, like you should try to avoid failure because it sucks. There's nothing worse than like, I don't know if you've ever failed Fran. I've had twice where I tried to do Fran and I just, I got to a point where I was like, you know what? Like I'm not finishing this. I can't. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that's good though. I think that like that's part of the learning process and you 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 kind of have to embrace that, and it, it, it's cliche because everybody knows that like failure of or, or fear of failure is the number one reason people don't try new things. But I think it's true. You have to try things that you might not be able to do. The hard part is when you do fail. Like, how much do you rail on it? How much do you say, you know what, like what would I have done to not fail? Sure, because I think you do need that. That's healthy. But like, there's also part of that failure process that is you know what i don't care <laughs> i watched the billy eilish documentary on apple plus today so billy eilish uh she's 18 years old right now she won like six grammys when she was 17 just past year so she's a female she's not pop I, she's like kind of this alternative thing but i was watching her documentary and i've been watching a lot of music documentaries i watched taylor swift's documentary um the defiant ones obviously which is where your name comes the from the defiant ones it's my it. favorite one i've watched that <laughs> twice so far uh logic has won um huge logic fan but anyway i'm watching this one and this chick was i mean the amount of times this chick failed in trying to get her music out there to the world uh, it was incredible and then she does i mean she literally i mean she beat out Lizzo and all these other amazing artists in the 2020 Grammys. I mean, it, it, six of them at age 17, like best wow. album, best is like, but like there's a, do you think that with failure, cause if you get enough, when you get failure early on, that's probably the hardest. Cause you have no wins to stack it up against. Yeah. So when the win column zero and the fail column is seven, right? It's hard for you to be like, uh, yeah, I fucked up again, but I did land that one good account or I did do that <laughs> one thing. I think that's the difference. Those that can go over can have a big goose egg in the win column and keep marching through the failures. Cause as you get, okay, you're tenured in business now. If my license model eats shit, like I won't care. I'll be like, Oh, I got these other things. I got the real estate one. I got the fucking consulting. Mm-hmm. Like I won't care because I've got enough wins on the, on the board, lifetime career wins. Um, but early on i think that's the hardest I, I think that's really hard and i think you're spot on um so 
I asked Garth Moulton, who was probably one of the most, if not most, top two or three successful guests I've had. He started a company uh, called Jigsaw. He sold it. Isn't Jigsaw Salesforce. the name of the serial killer in the Saw movies? It, yeah. <laughs> Is that related? It probably was, but it wasn't related. <laughs> okay. But they, they sold this business to Salesforce for... it. He doesn't disclose it. He didn't in my podcast, but I... You got to imagine. Yeah, it, it was disclosed on many sure, yeah, uh, yeah. sources, and maybe one hundred fifty million. Wow. So, so successful business by any stretch. It's, it's yeah. not a Facebook, or, sure, you know, but it's 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 a very successful business. And um, I asked him about this because he's had a couple of other successes and a couple of failures, and he was like, "Look, everybody can talk about failure. <laughs> failure sucks. It's it's terrible." Like you, and you want to avoid it, but like, if you have one success, failure becomes a success. Sure. Yeah. And, and yeah. I don't, I don't think he would say that he would have wanted to fail, but he, he had a failed business and they returned all the money to the investors. They paid every employee. They, 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 they were unsuccessful in the sense that they decided like, we're not doing this. We're, this is not how we're making money. But they were successful in the sense that they didn't hurt anybody. But he, he, he would tell you, like, I did not want to fail, but you know what? Because I had a success. Yeah. My failure became a success. Yeah. No, I, I get that 100%. And that's, but that's, you have to keep marching on in order to have that first win. Mm -hmm. And it just takes one win. Like, for the Cleveland Browns, I'm a Cleveland Browns <laughs> fan. We went 0-16 the season before that. We had won one game, okay? The but, Owen team. Yes. <laughs> but that very first game we won, you would have thought we won the fucking Super Bowl. Dude, I'm going nuts. I'm like late. Did you beat the Redskins? That's all I needed to know. I, I <laughs> <laughs> the, not, not the Redskins, the, the team formerly known, known as, as the, the Redskins. Redskins. Yeah, the Washington football team. But, dude, it's just one of those things where you're right, but it just takes that one win. I think, honestly, I, if someone's asked, well, what's one of the reasons you think you uh, have done halfway decent in what you've done? And being a Cleveland Browns fan, I swear to God, I would pin so much of that back on the fact that it's like, I watched loser football for the majority of my life since, I mean, pre-1999 you know they we finally got our team back in 1999 and from i'm brown uh, from the um uh, the ravens ravens yeah, yeah art yeah. modell moved the team and then we went that period without any team whatsoever and we get the new state all that and and now i've watched nothing but loser nfl football in cleveland ohio until this past year so you, I, I i agree with all of that you um like for those who don't know, because I, t I text with you every once yeah, in a yeah. while, like you, you obviously have been heavily impacted by LeBron James as, oh. as anybody in Cleveland. Can you just speak yeah. to what this man means? Yeah. To, so to, I've got your that, city. I've yeah. got the Cleveland plane dealer when we won the, the national champion, when we won the, the NBA finals, it hangs up. It's in my place. I've got it framed, um, all that. I cried that night because again, I was a LeBron fan and I was not a LeBron hater when he moved to Miami. I was so for it. I had moved from Cleveland and I moved to Charlotte. I take my <laughs> talent south so I could do more. There's only so much you can do in that fucking city. But um, I totally got it. I wasn't mad at all. And I was a huge fan of him when he was in Miami. And uh, But when he came back and he won, man, I mean, that just, you know, because again, when you lose, 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 it just takes that one win. And instantly it changes everything. Like everyone in Cleveland, you would have thought like, you would have thought we had won the everything. You would have thought we had won everything. We had just won. Now, granted, 
coming down three to one against Golden State, which has never been done in the history of the NBA, is an amazing way to do it. But um, even now with him on the Lakers, uh, I every team he's on, I want. I'm a huge fan of his show Barbershop. Uh, that's the dude you would love it it's the hbo documentary series his, he's got a okay. media company uninterrupted and it's just him it's inside of barbershops they've got guys like john daly they've had barack obama on it it's just wow. it's dudes doing a podcast but without mics just they're all like you know they probably have booms or whatever but they're just all shooting the shit in a barbershop drinking and getting their hairs cut dude it's such a good fucking show you'd love it but no that was uh that was absolutely good that when the browns go to the super bowl i've already told like people close to I don't care how much money a ticket would be. Like, I don't care how much, I don't care who I would have to hurt. Like, I will go to that fucking game. And if my grandpa's alive, I'm going to take him. Uh, but he's been he's been a Cleveland Browns season ticket holder for fucking 60 years. Now, did the Indians ever win? Or? We went to the World Series. Uh, we had that Jose Mesa scenario against the Marlins in which we lost. Um, but no, I've never been a part of a Cleveland winning uh, until LeBron. Until LeBron. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing what that can do. But I think we, we should celebrate that. I think it should be awesome that a guy playing a game. Do you think he's better than Jordan? No. Even after watching the Jordan documentary? No, I don't. So I used to say yes, and then I watched the Jordan documentary, <laughs> and then I said no, because I was I was not into the NBA at the Jordan level. I watched it, but I wasn't like, you know, I was... Oh, know, yeah, that, that, that was when I came up. Yeah, I yeah. remember the first thing I learned about the NBA was Michael Jordan's the man... I learned f first about um, uh, uh, Larry Bird, yeah, 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 Michael Jordan, yeah, and even, I'm so I'm so old that even uh, Dr. J, J yeah, was Dr. Part J, of it. yeah. But then when I started hearing about Le LeBron, I, I started hearing about Michael. I was like, wow, this guy's different. And then yeah. I watched him, and watching the Last Dance was amazing to me because, like, here you have this man who is. Uh, it's almost a psychosis, right? Sure. <laughs> he just has to win. He has to win no matter what it is, even if he's betting with... Yeah, you know, even like, when he's play, gambling on the golf course. Yeah, exactly. And um, I, I think when you see somebody like that, it if you're not inspired by that, something's wrong. That's how I feel <laughs> like the Defiant Ones. When yeah. I watch the Defiant Ones, now again, I just wish it wouldn't take me nine hours to watch all of it by the time yeah. I have to start and stop, start <laughs> and stop. But the same thing with Say the Last Dance. I watched that, mm -hmm. and I am more jazzed up. And on the Michael Jordan one, I was jazzed up in kind of an asshole way. Like, I remember watching it with Jess, and she's like, I was like, I want to go fucking take lives right now. Like, I literally <laughs> want to go, I will step on throats. And the Jordan mentality, that, that was the Jordan mentality. It didn't care. He'll step on your kid's throat if it's in the way of him winning. He's going to win no matter what. Yeah. And it it may not make people like you. And I, I think it matters if people like you. Like, I, I try to be likable on the sure. podcast. I try to be likable on my social media accounts. But at the end of the day, that level of excellence, it it doesn't matter, does it? No, I mean, if you're going to be that great, I think you got to go 51, 49, or going to love you, hate you kind of scenario. And the 49 will be, it'll sound, it'll feel like 149% yeah. hate you type scenario. <laughs> you watched the Tiger Woods documentary? Not yet, but I want to see it. And, and that's very topical now because very. of his, his yeah. So did he, so I asked this question over the weekend and I couldn't get a straight answer and I have not gone to ESPN for it. Did he get into a car accident by himself, like driving alone or was it like a fender bender? Someone else hit him. No, from what I understand, he was driving fast. He wasn't in the best car that he drives. I, I mean, it, it, yeah. it, it's a great car, but it wasn't sure. one of the cars. Like he drives some really exotic cars Sure. and he was in a hurry and he had told people like, I'm in a hurry 
and he was driving as fast as he could, and he went around a corner that, like, literally, like, there's accidents every uh, week. Sure. And a lot of people wanted to, I, I think a lot of people who want to sell clickbait sure. wanted to Did make it sound like he was drunk. The or same thing as before, you know. Painkillers, like but it was Golf 10 club in the back window. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And from what I understand, he just was in a hurry and upset and, sure. and crashed his car. And I, I, I hope he, I, I would really, there's nothing more in this world that I would love to see than Tiger to win a couple more majors yeah. and set a couple of records, you know. And I think Jack Nick, Nicholas would love no, nothing more than that. Yeah. I honestly believe that that's true. Um, so ho hopefully he gets better soon. But, it, yeah, it. I, I got so many fun memes. and <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that I was like, wait a second. I don't actually want this guy yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> to be hurt. But we all like a good joke. We yeah. all like a good joke. <laughs> so when he won that last one, they, and he came kind of pretty much his comeback kind of scenario, yeah. I shot a vlog that next day. And I did this entire opening sequence, like mimicking his putt. I was in the gym and I was sinking this long putt and the whole deal. It, it's you can't a, putt like him. No, Stu. I'm I, just cannot, telling I, you. I haven't seen like your putt, but nope, I'm going to guess. It's not as good. <laughs> um, but the documentary you'll like, like when he was at his best is when the world was on fire right after his dad died. And right when he had all that shit going on with all yeah. the chicks and all that, like his world was on fire. He's a guy who does his best cooking under that level of chaos. Yeah. I, and I think that's instructive. I think we should all do that. Like yeah. when, when the world seems like it's destroying you, it's going to get better. Like it, tomorrow is going to be better than today. But I also, people who don't, they're like, I don't perform well under pressure. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, I can accept that. I can, I can, I can appreciate that. But if you were to pause and one, like if I had one superpower, it's the ability to like stop time, like Zach Morris time out, like from say by the bell and zoom out and just like look at the entire thing from all angles if you tell me I just don't perform well under pressure or the pandemic happened and my business went out because I couldn't handle it, if you that's the only time when you really have to perform well and it matters. Like if you're telling me, oh, I, I've, Stu, I've, got a, I've had a gym since 2010 and we've doubled our sales every year. I'm like, yeah, we've been in the best economy in the, for the past eight to nine, 10 years. Like, of course you have, dude. So if you tell me that's when you perform well, when all the variables are in your favor, what good are you as an operator or a business owner? I need someone who can like have the kitchen on fire and, and be like, okay, this sucks. Like this actually, this really <laughs> sucks, but I know how to put each one of these fires out in which order and strategically do it without losing my cool, pissing off my team or losing sight of the overall mission. Like that's the only time when performing in my opinion really matters is when you're under fire. Cause you perform well when shit's good the fuck it's like it's like I, like driving i don't get any i don't get in any accidents when i'm driving and i'm going the speed limit but if i'm speeding because i need to be somewhere in a hurry like like i just i just never really understood that uh, no I, I i agree with that totally i think that um I, i've always said like we make our best clients when we fuck up yeah i, I think when you do something that is detrimental to a client's business and they can't imagine how they recover from it. That's painful, but that is how you make your best clients. Because when you fix that for them, they're like, you know what? Yeah. Stu, <laughs> fuck this up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he, he made, he put me in a situation I never want to be in again, but you know what? They made it right. He made it right. And Stu opened a new business opportunity. And yeah. I, I think the biggest opportunities arise when we, think that 
there's no hope. That's know? so, so many gym owners that I worked with during the pandemic, they're with crisis communication. How do I respond about George Floyd? How to respond about all these things? How to respond about Greg Glassman? And they were so afraid to make any statement because they were going to get dinged in the, the Google, you know, reviews or in a Yelp review or in a Facebook review. And the best thing, when you get dinged, that's actually the best opportunity to come in and reply to the comment. Even on a publicly. digital level. Yeah. That, that, that's amazing. Yeah. So like you go ahead, your best opportunity to show a good public facing, you know, brand representation, all that is when you get some negative, negative press and how you react to it. Cause everyone's going to have like, show me a business with no bad reviews. And I'm really sketch on it. I'm like, <laughs> that's bullshit. Right. Um, but no, I, I think you're right. I think uh, the ability to rebound from things, create, great branding and marketing opportunities as well. Like Justin Bieber, best rebrand in the history of rebrands. I use him as a case study all the time. Justin Bieber has the number one most disliked video on YouTube for baby. It's that song he did with Ludacris back in like 2009 hmm. or 10, whatever the fuck it was. Number one, most disliked song on, on YouTube, our music video. And now Justin Bieber's like, everyone loves him. He had a rebrand. He went to whatever. He had a roast on Comedy Central. And he completely, whoever his PR agent is, completely rebranded Justin Bieber. And now he's cool. No one thinks he's a douche. So, so you're saying we shouldn't go run for president. <laughs> that was the opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just, it's one of those things where I just think you can always flip a negative. Uh, you, have, well, let me, you can't always. But if you seize the opportunity to flip a negative into a positive, it's better than any positive you could have thought up without the precursor of fucking up in the first place. Yeah. So I'm going to go into an area before we close because it's it, it's probably time to close. But like you have a couple of very famous CrossFit Games athletes who are part of like your 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 brand. So. Sure. How do you reconcile that with the fact that you're trying to decrease your exposure to the CrossFit brand? It's funny. So I got a, I did a clubhouse room the other day, just me, uh, Jason Kalipa, and Miranda. And these are these are people in my ecosystem now uh, through text message. We're just text messaging one day. Let's do a clubhouse room. And someone asked, it was a Q&A or AMA, ask us anything. And so someone gets in the room and asks Miranda Alcarez, who is uh, formerly Miranda Aldroyd, a crazy famous ex-CrossFit Games athlete, Jason Kalipa, who's a big one. I got like Marcus Philly, these people. Um, they asked him like, how do you guys, so they, they asked something about like, you know, the way Stu talks to people publicly on the internet and his persona and pissing people off and you guys being around that kind of scenario. Or like when you told me, Famously, in, in, in my world, uh, hey, John, like, you're, you're not box squatting to a public oh, yeah. urinal yeah, yeah. I told that, you that you're going to get gonorrhea yeah, from. Gonorrhea, well, yeah, gonorrhea, yeah. You, were, you, were, you weren't squatting deep enough. I'm like, you don't have to hover over top of it like it's a public toilet that you're going to get the clap from, John. Let's go. <laughs> or like in class, when guys don't, you know, or girls, they don't clench their glutes, I would say, hey. Tighten up that prison wallet. Let's go, kids. Let, like, lock <laughs> up that meat wallet. Yes. Um, y you know what? It's interesting because I remember the first time I ever met Jason Gleep, I was starstruck. Like, but I called him and I said, hey, I, do I don't know how much you know about my thing. This is my shtick. Is that going to be a problem if I come out there and I vlog and I hang out with you and I'm dry? And he was, I remember he's like, bro, no, I, I don't like, I do my thing. You do your thing. Like, I get yeah. what you're doing. I like what you're like. So uh, from that perspective, um, no, I don't, you know, those most of my people that I fuck with have also moved away from CrossFit. Like Kalipa, he, he launched a license model. He's got 80 NC fits. That's the gym that de-affiliated from CrossFit. Wow. And he has 80 locations across uh, the world. 
Um, so no, I, I mainly fuck with even people that are really the CrossFit. I still fuck with, but, uh, most of them are probably have kind of created businesses beyond just the CrossFit affiliation thing. But well, that's, that's awesome, Stu. Um, so what have I missed? What do we need to talk about? Is there anything? I don't or? know, man. I think we kind of covered everything. We finished this bottle of, of, uh, of bourbon. A Booker's. Yeah. Booker's. Yeah, it's we, good. We finished Booker's. We're working on some yeah. Booker's, Mark. You brought me some mints so I can eat these on the way back. So in case I get pulled over, we don't have to fucking revisit this. <laughs> um, but no, I, you know what? I think, uh, I think it's good. I want to just make sure you see, you have such a great fucking setup here. Like, I just want to make sure you stay super consistent with these. I remember the first podcast interview you do me, you had a fuck, you had the entire list. You had all your questions mapped out, ready to go. But like, I think you're good. Just free. Like, I think you probably got enough under your belt now. You can freestyle them. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so I have a doctor coming up. Who's the head, like, like literally the forefather of naturopathic medicine, Dr. Joseph Pizzorno. Okay. 75 years old. And he, he runs like five different businesses and he, plays basketball for fun you yeah. know what i mean like yeah, yeah. like literally he describes himself as i want to play basketball like uh, three on three is good and um i think that he represents where i want to take this podcast which is like how like how do we actually improve our health through businesses because like to me so this is a business podcast sure. this is not a fitness podcast yeah, yeah. like it Honestly, your podcast is probably more of a business podcast sure. than a fitness podcast. But I think that I, th I think that that's instructive when you think about how you do that. And especially as I've been preparing to interview Dr. Prezorno, it's just like, how do I like balance the fact that I want to ask him how do I detox my liver? Sure, yeah, yeah, through this supplement, but like also like how did you start this business? I think that's the part that people need to understand. And that's my purpose is like, how do I explain the businesses that solve problems that are relevant? To sure. People? Yeah. But, but I think that's part of your podcast. Yeah, too. no, it's, but it's interesting. Cause I just, you know, I just started the long form one and uh, where I'm interviewing people long form and I have a, I have a roadmap in my head and I plan, it, I write it out, right. I've got my Google uh, iPad or my Apple iPad and I draw this line. I've got this really long wavy squiggly line and there's different routes I want to stop at. So I've got like six main points during this two and a half hour interview I want to hit. But anything in between there is just kind of like fair game. But I like, I got my little Apple watch and I'm just like, all right, I'm going to allow us to go down this road for about seven minutes, nine minutes. And then I have to get, cause I have six points I know I want to hit on. But then anything in between that, Fuck it. Whatever rabbit hole we go down, we go down that rabbit hole. But that's where like you plug in those selfish questions where you're like, yeah. I just want to selfishly ask you this shit. But I think that's also Hey Dr. Pizorno, how yeah. do we, how do I do this? Yeah, <laughs> like you actually give him your daily what you're taking and be like, Can you give me some feedback? Oh, I uploaded my twenty three and me to him and he's already like <laughs> told me like like responded with this is what I think you need to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, You have a trisomy of chromosome number twenty one. He's like, yeah. huh? <laughs> He's like, You're actually mentally retarded. Right. I I that's probably pretty true. <laughs> you just got canceled because we said the word retarded. Uh -oh. <laughs> oh, I love cancel culture. But All right, no. brother. Well, look, it was it was amazing interviewing you for this. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank we're gonna, you. We're going to play chess next time. Yeah. Um, it, it, 
as yeah, anybody is, following us on YouTube will yeah, see, we have this a is, chess board. This is super dope. I bet you there'd be a good podcast where someone actually plays chess, like, and during the entire thing, and they have to conversate, like, and they just hit, like, have you seen Queen's Gambit? You see I Queen's love Queen's Gambit. Gambit. So good. Yeah, yeah. So good. I'm not into ginger chicks, because I think that's gross, because I'm a ginger. I just think of my female relatives, but she was pretty hot. Um, she was amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, yeah. thank you, man. This was awesome. Thanks, brother. Oh, Cheers. Oh,